Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded, as I've been saying for the last six months, uh, at various domiciles and places of shelter around the New York uh, City metropolitan area. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, uh, Editor of PW Comics, well, and Editor of the Fanatic PW's Comics and Pop Culture Newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com, the news blog of comics culture. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And also, don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on any place that you can uh, normally subscribe and you can also leave us a comment and if you do feel so moved please leave us a comment or give us a rating give us a thumbs up or please well even a thumbs down but uh give us some kind of feedback we love getting it hey you listen to us we're more than happy to listen to you okay all right this week on more to come uh icv2's insider talks uh the theme uh comics under covid sony Hungry for Country Roll, uh, a history of racism at DC Comics. Uh, let's take a look at PW's best books listing of 2020. Uh, and the cons go live again. And the beat. Uh, excuse me, the briefs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Freudian we slip. We can do the beat. That would be great. But, uh, uh, well, there you go. We love the beat. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, hey, so okay. You, so uh, you guys uh, just a little... talk. Yes, it's our job, but just a little uh, warning ahead of time. Uh, like everybody in the United States, uh, we're all a little frazzled right now. So if oh, this God. is not our most sparkling episode of all times, please forbear, forgive us, bear with us. We're doing the best we can. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, between doom scrolling on one hand and following uh, the path of this election on the other, we're just happy to be here. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it isn't enough that we've been in quarantine for eight months or, you know, lockdown or semi-lockdown, whatever you want to call it. Anyway. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I think we talked about this briefly, that Milton Grief was going to do his Insider Talk series mm-hmm. again, this time virtually. And he did, indeed. And Calvin yeah. and I participated in it. Spoilers. Uh, you know, he ran over some of the numbers that uh, he had released earlier in the year in his joint Comicron report, but as some some new figures as well. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, in fact, the whole program um, was was very good. Obviously, the theme, as you mentioned, was of how the market was functioning under this pandemic. Um, you know, there was uh, uh, talks. With, I thought it was very interesting that they had, uh, you know, the uh, artists, writers, and artisans crowd on with Axel Alonso. Yes. Um, uh, uh, um, the always interesting Kristen McLean from BookScan uh, and I did a talk with uh, – in fact, Heidi was the moderator on the question period for um, for Kristen McLean. And I did a talk with uh, with Keith Knight about Woke, his new Hulu TV series, That's, talking about the background yeah. on that and a little bit about race and comics. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean I don't think there's any too many surprises here in the numbers. I, I definitely want to talk about Kristen's presentation a little bit because she has a lot of info. Um, but, you know, Milton – as we know, kids' comic sales are way up. Um, you know, he noted that and you know, a lot of stuff he delivered was about 2019. One thing he said that he predicted in 2018 that the book channel would pass the comic book channel, and in 2019, it did that. Indeed, indeed it did. And, yeah. um, you know, sale. But uh, this was interesting. Kids' books were up. Kids', kids were sales. Kids' graphic novel sales were up 43% in the book channel, but 89% in comic stores. So, you know, it's not, I mean, we all know that Dogman and Raina are doing great in bookstores, but they're doing great in comic shops, too. Yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting that um, he had some interesting things to say about uh, how graphic novels, I mean, he said them before, but it's mm-hmm. in some ways it's a little even more emphatic now about how powerful this format is, uh, has been on the marketplace whether you're talking about uh, uh, traditional bookstores or comic sh- stores, as he said, graphic novels are where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, uh, what, what, what was the overall sales? I mean, you mentioned in the book tra- channel, um, but I think what they were up 
what? No, no, I'm confusing it with something else, so I'm not going to go down that road. But still, um, the numbers are really kind of extraordinary. Um, uh, sales of graphic for 2019. For 2019. But part of this was in uh, uh, in a climate where the actual the market is doing well in many ways, even despite the problems that the comics uh, um, retail channel is facing and the book channel is facing. Well, I think what's really important is what Kristen revealed when she got in there because she had all these charts that showed that uh, even though comics – and you know, I've been saying this. I've been talking to individual publishers and retailers. They said they were actually above 2019. Yeah. And Kristen McLean, she had the book scan numbers, and they showed, of course, there was a huge dip in March and April when, you know, things wanted to shut down. But, um, you know, uh, comic shops are actually above last year. Comic sales are actually above yeah. last year. In About 18% percent above mm-hmm. through September. Through September. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, it's actually on track to be as good a year as 2019. How is that possible? Because everything is shifted to online. Yeah. People, Because we're talking about not – I mean, obviously, independent bookstores were hammered by this. Comic shops were probably even hammered worse than independent bookstores. I'm uh, not sure about that, but – Well, that may be the case. Well, I, I, independent book uh, – comic shops may be a little more fragile uh, in some cases. Uh, but I yes, but I I, I I'm not going to debate that. You're right. All independent stores, uh, whether in the book trade or in comic shops, were hammered by this. Were hammered by local lot pandemic lockdowns, uh, and and obviously the different um, regulations going on in every state. But uh, uh, but uh, consumers were still buying content, and they were buying it because they have to buy it because they're trapped in their homes. Right. And many of these sales. Shifted immediately to uh, to online retail. Now retailers have had uh, had to respond to that to, to you know to stay alive and to survive. But I mean, this is the story in the general book market too. You know, uh, mm-hmm. content sales have not gone away. That's you know that's, they, they've that's, held on. And I, I you know I've not talked a lot about you know in looking at the comic shops and how they responded to COVID. Uh, that you know they have pivoted. I mean they've started online stores and they've started auction, you know, uh, like using social media to sell comics. And they, uh, you know, they continue to be kind of a community place. Now, you know, a lot of places, comic shops are open. I mean, you know, this is, and, uh, but, you know, they've really become part of the community and, you know, sorry, indie bookstores, I'm not saying that they're not, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I you know, comic shops had a supply chain yes. uh, disruption as Milton and Kristen both pointed out. And that seemed to hurt them. If it hadn't been for that supply chain disruption that they had, um, who knows where we'd be right now. But, uh, and, yeah. And, and that was kind of my point is that, that indie bookstores didn't have to face like seven weeks. Yes. Yes. With no new product yeah. coming in. Yeah. So, so Kate, so Kate, one of the things that Kristen talked about was, uh, that what is fueling this, uh, is, uh, kids' books, of course, we know that. I mean, I, you know, the new dog yep. band came out, but also manga. Uh, manga is mm-hmm. huge. You know, superheroes are the number three genre right now. Uh, yes. After kids' mm-hmm. comics and, and mm-hmm. manga. But yeah, uh, and yeah. Oh, manga- I am shocked. Shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say this as someone who loves superhero comics, but I mean, when you think about how many people do you know outside of fandom who reads superhero comics it's probably lower than the number of people you know who read manga i mean and it's probably lower than the number of people you know who are children it's, right you know it's nothing against superhero comics it's just that manga is not so much a genre as a medium and it covers a whole bunch of different demographics yes. much broader than any one individual genre such as superheroes so it, it frankly seems natural to me yeah yeah, it's not it's not surprising to any of us. Um, you know, and uh, obviously we'll be talking about this a little bit lo- uh, further on in the podcast. But um, uh, you know, a lot of this is driven by streaming uh, content, mm-hmm. and uh, so oh, I just did something very bad with my computer, so I'm sorry, you guys. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's well, driven but, you by know, streaming this is, content. This is kind of, I mean, in some ways, what we're talking about. I mean, I think um, one of the things that uh, Milton talked about was that we got. Um, five years of, of change yes. in, in five months. 
um, because of the, the pandemic um, the, and, the, and the crisis uh, it has driven to us. We, we have been talking about the expansion of the American comics market probably for about the last for, – certainly for as long as we've been doing this podcast oh, yeah. and even longer. The, what, the, the transformation in the American comics market is the explosion of genres. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond, we, it is no longer essentially dominated by one genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a generation of, of, of readers out there that want manga and they want other things and they want superhero comics too. I mean, I think a lot of what we're seeing about the so-called parody now as superhero, the superhero category, category is like number three is a market correction, uh, in that there's other things that you can buy. Mm-hmm. There's other yeah. things that are being marketed besides superhero comics yes. uh, in the American marketplace. And in the long run, this is going to be to everyone's benefit. It is because it, it it gives creators a wider variety of genres to work in, and it opens the graphic novel and comic book field to people who maybe wouldn't be into superheroes. It's it's like if if bookstores only sold mysteries and suddenly uh-huh. yes. <laughs> they sold all the other genres too. Like it's not because there was something wrong with mysteries. It's just because there are some people who will discover they like other stuff. Yeah. Yep. You know, and also, I mean, not only that, of course, you know, comics, I mean, this has been what people have been trying to say for actually 50 years in the industry. You know, comics in Japan are all kinds of genres. Comics in France are all kinds of genres. So, yeah, we finally have that. And, um, you know, obviously it's, it's manga <laughs> that's kind of really the charge. You know, one, Calvin, one very interesting thing that, uh, that, that was brought up a couple times in the, uh, by, by Kristen and Milton both though, and I don't think anybody's really drilled down on this a lot, is that, you know, when Diamond had their slowdown, which we covered here, I mean, their shutdown, they stopped shipping comics. Yeah. Comic shops had a very hard time. Yes. Uh, they kept in their books. But you know what stayed open during that very bleak March, April period was essential businesses, including Target and Walmart. Mm. And they are selling comics. They are selling mm-hmm. graphic novels. And, you know, they both bought up that mass market. Uh, is You know, we all know that Amazon is seeing a lot of sales from indie bookstores and comic shops, but they were suggested that maybe mass market is too. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the mass market stores are always going to sell a lot of whatever they sell. They just have a very narrow, uh, you know, offering. Yes, I mean, they won't take anything that isn't a massive bestseller. So, uh, I, I mean, I always think they kind of skew a little bit. It's fine, it, it, you know. You want the most popular thing at any one time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they are getting they're, – they're clearly getting – and clearly DC's um, relationship with Walmart seems to have paid off with them mm-hmm. um, and seems to be at what even affecting the kind of formats that they're going to be offering because this that kind of giant um, annual issue that they've been selling is kind of uh, – they seem to be – isn't this going to become a part of kind of DC's – ongoing publishing program. Well, that's what we were talking about last time. Right, with, uh, right. With their future state, with where the they're going to do it as these, uh, you know, this this um, anthology size book. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I think, mm, no, I you agree know, comics you. and graphic novels have had a very strange, bumpy road in mass market uh, bookstores, book you know, big box, uh, you know, retailers. Mm. But, um, obvi- I mean, you know, look, both Target and Walmart carry Dogman and Reina. I mean, of right. course well, they do because they're huge. They're the, you know, wimpy kid, yeah. all this stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it's like this is another, another outlet. And you know, Walmart, by the way, sells everything on its web store, sure. website. It sells fantagraphics. It sells all sorts of weird comics you never thought that uh, Walmart would sell. So no, that's interesting. Know. Actually, I, I, you know, I, I didn't follow that so much because Walmart, you know, they sell it through the website. I'm sure. So yeah. Uh, but I am, you know, but it's very interesting. On that same note, I mean, one of the things. Uh, that uh, as it kind of in, as Milton was concluding, he really kind of talked about essentially what the comic shop uh, slash indie bookstore of the future should look like. Yes, and and Kristen has talked about this a great deal too. You know, respond to your customer, learn to sell books, use social media, get a website. I mean, it's some indie. 
some indie bookstores were facing this too, who did not really focus on online. And suddenly they found that that was the only way they could sell books. Um, and the emphasis, and really this is all we talk about in, in the book trade, retail is no longer a place you just to go to buy stuff. Absolutely. It is a community space. It offers you uh, all kinds of ways to connect with your uh, customers that Amazon can't. Right. Now, this is a tougher sell, obviously, now in uh, the era of COVID. But as we come out of it and that there is some level of being able to go into a social space, even at reduced numbers, um, indie bookstores and and comic shops, which are basically indie bookstores, yes. need to start thinking about this, too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, and, and it was, uh, you know, I think everything's a little bit frazzled by COVID uh, and the election like we are. Uh, but this was a really great conference. And, you know, another real lot of great information from Kristen McLean, a lot of great information from Milton Reap. And, you know, he kind of had to squeeze it in because normally it's held as part of the live New York Comic Con. Uh, and uh, this time done virtually like everything else. But, um, you know, a lot of good information. Yeah, absolutely. And if I just may just drop in just a uh, a shout out to, uh, you know, Rob uh, Salkowitz, who interviewed uh, Axel Alonzo uh, mm-hmm. about the program there, uh, which actually was quite interesting. I thought that was very interesting. The COVID actually, yes. Chronicles. Um, and I'm embarrassed because I, I want to. Ethan Sachs. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I wanted to make sure his name got across. Uh, I thought that was very interesting uh, what they were doing. I'm interested to see how much more do. And, of course, uh, the always um, uh, uh, quotable, charming uh, 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 Keith Knight uh, was terrific to talk to him, uh, to talk about, you know, this whole process of getting on, uh, basically to have a, a TV show made about your life. So yes. uh, if you haven't seen it, do uh, – I'm up to about episode seven or eight. Uh, and mm-hmm. I love it. So there you go. But I'm, well, there I'm you go. That's great. Well, I hope I, I hope uh, you know it gets renewed and we get to do more. It's I know. Fingers timely. crossed. I yeah. really hope it's renewed. Yeah. Uh, couldn't it happen to a nicer uh, indie comics artist. Yes. So yeah, another. And Kate, well, sorry, Kate, you you couldn't be there. It was during your other job, your day job, so you couldn't you couldn't be there. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, hey, what's happening in the world of anime? Oh, yeah. Wow. So, well, as we mentioned, streaming is pretty big, and... And Sony is uh, taking a good, hard look at Crunchyroll and deciding that it looks awfully delicious. In <laughs> <laughs> mm, fact, it's making me hungry right oh, now, just, just using that analogy, yeah. Yes, well, um, listeners, if you've been under a rock, Crunchyroll is the biggest anime streaming site, well, of the legal variety in the United States. (laughs) And they have a wide variety of, of, you know, anime, and it's also available on an app for streaming, and they're worth a lot. Well, Sony is, as everyone knows, a Japanese conglomerate, but while they have ties with anime in Japan, in the United States, they really kind of haven't. They've just sort of licensed it out. And so it looks like they're looking to maybe bring things in-house um, because they're seeing that, um, you know, maybe streaming is the future. So in spring, Sony paid $400 million just for a stake, not the, not the entire thing, for a stake in the Chinese streaming site, Billy Billy. Um, so it would make sense if they started looking around in the United States. Now, they do own Funimation, but sorry, Funimation, um, Sony's Funimation streaming is not the best. It's very yeah. heavy on dubs, and um, most people don't care. Mm. So, you know, I can see how they might want to strengthen their, you know, anime content. So, 
Um, it has the Sony angle has emerged from a report in um, Japan's uh, Nikkei newspaper. Um, they say that the talks have advanced sufficiently that Sony is now has now exclusive negotiating rights on a Crunchyroll purchase. So that means that like right now nobody else is, can negotiate to buy Crunchyroll. Um, it's not well, exactly a purchase, but it's kind of a promise ring. Well, this has been rumored for quite a <laughs> while because AT&T is looking to streamline, as you mentioned, Kate. And, uh, you know, Crunchyroll is very successful, but they want to get rid of it because, you know, they got to get HBO Max up and running, which they've totally not done because, uh, you know, month seven, day 387, day 260, Heidi does not get HBO Max on her Roku. Hello. <laughs> I've been saying this in every episode. So, um, you know, clean your own damn house, AT&T. Trash. Well, well, and, I, you know, you're not alone in that, Heidi. My parents have been longtime HBO subscribers who enjoyed using the included HBO Go app. And the rollout of HBO Max somehow accidentally screwed them over. And they no longer can get any HBO app. And they've just given up. It's a disaster. It's one of the worst rollouts in, in Hollywood history of something that AT&T is essential to their future. So it's incredible. But anyway, yeah, they want to get rid of Crunchyroll and Sony seems like a very likely home for it. Yeah. I, I, you know, maybe I, I can, Crunchyroll will be in better hands. Yes. Yeah. But I, I have to admit, I continue to marvel at the, at the, uh, the evolution, uh, of Crunchyroll, which, I mean, w- w- when I, uh, when I, I got the list for what we were going to be talking about, I went back into the PW database to look up our coverage of Crunchyroll, we were covering them, you know, uh, really almost from the very beginning. <clears throat> I found a couple of articles by Kai Ming Cha. Um, wow. Our terrific manga correspondent from back in the day. And, I mean, we got, you know, I, right now in front of me, Crunchyroll Crunchy goes legit to build wow. anime manga fandom. Wow. And, 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 and if, for those who may not know, I mean, Crunchyroll was a pirate site. Yeah, it was. It it was totally pirated material, um, and this article talks about how the new CEO, what's his name, was uh, uh, the CEO at the time. This is in two thousand nine, actually. Uh, Kungao, uh, how he worked to take them legitimate. Went to Japan, talked with the uh, um, the uh, the anime uh, companies there, I mean, it's amazing uh, what they become, uh, how they've turned into a power. In this category, yeah, and you know, just another point. Uh, Sony uh, has got a big hit in Japan in a movie called Demon Slayer, the movie Mugen mm. Train, which is a big box office hit. Because yes, in Japan they have theaters that are open; they can go see movies. They went to see Demon Slayer. Uh, Demon Slayer, the manga, is also a bestseller. Uh, it's one of the the hottest uh, t- uh, category, or, you know, titles. I think both uh, Milton and Kristen mentioned how Demon Slayer. So anyway, it's all tied together, is what I'm getting. Yes. And speaking of Funimation and thus Sony, and Sony's, you know, extending of its anime tentacles into ja- into streaming of Japanese material in China, it can go in the opposite direction as well, because Funimation is bringing out, well, the first thing I've heard of on Fanimation that I've heard any buzz about ever, to be frank. Um, it's known in English as Heaven Officials Blessing, otherwise known as uh, Tian Guan Sifu, uh, which is this huge, huge hit uh, internationally as a novel, um, a sort of Wuja dash immortality adventure boys love series um, by the creator of Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation, which became the television show The Untamed. I mean, this has such a powerful fandom that even though the official translation of the of the Donghua, which is say a Chinese anime in on Funimation will be the first official translation of anything related to it in English um, it already has a, a massive mm. massive fandom um, and I mean this is huge this is Funimation's first 
um, Chinese work that they're streaming. Um, it's already breaking records in China, which is remarkable given that its material is not super popular with the Chinese government. Like they sort of let it pass because they're very careful to like not have anyone have sex on screen and Uh not actually use the word gay, just have two guys talking about how much they're in love with each other for 800 years. Um, literally 800 (laughs) years. Um, but, you know, no one used the word gay and no one had sex, so we're just going to pretend it's platonic. Whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, that kissing is completely platonic. Whatever. Um, but it's it's a huge hit. It's it's an interesting cultural phenomenon, and it's, it's a big get for Funimation, frankly. Incidentally, listeners, if you're wondering where you can um, read the comic version of uh, – Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation. It's over on Wii Comics, this tiny, itty-bitty little app um, that nobody's ever heard of, but it's there, officially and legally. So, go read it. Moving on. Yeah, well, All streaming right. yeah. anime is going to continue to have a big impact. And, yeah. Uh, and you know, we'll see what happens. International yeah, cross-culture, cross-pollination. Yes. Yes. And yes, I think we can also uh, be pretty confident that streaming services are going to have a bigger and bigger role in our lives going forward. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was happening before the pandemic and even more so afterwards. Oh, yeah. Cable, what's that? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. All right. All right. What's next, Calvin? Well, what's next is um, what, uh, what. I, I guess I called it a history of racism in DC Comics, and basically this is all tied to uh, a story that was in uh, Business Insider um, that looked at uh, the experiences of two black editorial workers at DC, or former uh, editorial workers at DC Comics, Harvey Edwards and the Latif uh, with Ade uh, L.A. Williams, uh, and the the conduct of their time working there and their relationship with um, with editorial leadership. Uh, at DC, uh, it doesn't sound uh, in the article. It doesn't sound very good. <clears throat> uh, let's see. One editor worked there uh, for about 22 years. Was the only black editorial uh, staffer at DC when he left. Uh, he was only promoted once. Uh, the uh, that's um, uh, Richards. Uh, Harvey Richards. Wil- that was Harvey Richards. Harvey yes. Richards. Um, uh, Williams. Uh, worked there for six years, left in 2000. I should say that Richards left in 2019 after 22 years. Um, uh, you know, it, it's the story that I think a lot of black staffers uh, can relate to and understand. I'm not going to pretend that I know all the details of each of these uh, individuals' uh, employment there, but uh, the stories they tell um, uh, sound familiar. Well, uh, this is kind of a follow-up to a story that I believe the same writer at Business Insider did looking at Marvel Comics and discovered a, a pretty similar pattern uh, with the two most recent African-American editors there, both having left. Uh, and, you know, not maybe as overt as some of the stories that L.A. and Harvey talk about, but, uh, you know, just guess what? There's not a lot of opportunities for black editors in any end of publishing until – like just recently, there's you know, like uh, I think people are sort of like, oh, <laughs> let's not be racist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I it think seems to be a glass ceiling kind of situation where yes, if you I, get in the door, you can't necessarily climb to the top. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times what happens in these situations is that, uh, and, and I'm just this is off the top of my head now, is that you know. You, you I, I think what we're seeing from black editors is that they feel ignored. They're not feel ignored. They know they're being ignored. Uh, even if they're doing their jobs well, there seems to be a reluctance to take uh, the your work you do seriously, particularly new ideas. So, uh, you know, it's hard to kind of generalize this across an entire industry. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of black uh you know, employees, staffers uh, that would read this and say, well, 
Um, you know, I'd like to know more. This sounds familiar. Well, uh, look, um, you know, personal experience. I actually worked at DC during this period. In fact, Harvey was my assistant for about a year when I worked on DC's uh, kids' books. And, uh, you know, I loved Harvey. He was a great assistant and uh, just one of the nicest people. The most, I said this is one of the most decent people I've ever worked with. Really, Everybody really loves Harvey, and uh, he's a really, really good guy. So I'll say that. You know, I wasn't there for the later parts of his editorial um, development because, again, he was only there for uh, for a year. Uh, I'll say this. 20 years without a promotion is a very long time. One promotion is a very, very long That's, time. But boy. <laughs> Yeah, but I'll say this, too. Like, I, I said this when I wrote about it for the beat. Uh, was there a, a uphill struggle for people of color, for women, for anyone who was not a white man at DC Comics when I worked there? 100%. Uh, and now, I will say that Jeanette Kahn and Paul Levitz, who were running DC at that time, were very, very committed. They talked about uh, doing better by racial representation all the time and actually had a program for both, uh, for people to get into the company via like the mailroom, which is kind of like the traditional place you get started. And both Harvey and Latif, uh, were products of that program and they were brought on to editorial. So, you know, look, mm-hmm. they were trying. And Calvin, as you know, a lot of times people try. And it still doesn't quite work out. Still doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, what happens also is that, to be to be honest, um, when there is like one or two, there's an incredible amount of pressure. Yes. To succeed. Yeah. And when these, if there are, is there's any uh, uh, turbulence. In the process, um, uh, it's it's very easy for upper management of whatever kind to say, ah, we don't need this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when people do speak up, they're considered troublemakers. Yes. And they've gotten rid of. And, I mean, Calvin, you and I have both seen that uh, countless times. So, um, so yeah. But, you know, I mean, unfortunately, they, these are these are cautionary tales. Uh, and they, I, I think what we can hope is that people coming out and telling these kinds of stories, um, provide, uh, a useful, uh, corrective to the past and, and useful information for us going forward. Hopefully it seems and appears that we were in a period that may be well, maybe, but you know, we Calvin, hope that that's true. Calvin, I gotta jump in here and say, I think Please I do. don't know that at Marvel there are any black editors there now. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe there are, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know the makeup of Marvel's editorial staff. So if, if anybody is listening to this and, uh, sure. you know, I hate, I don't mean to be tokenist or, you know, calling people out. I would love to know the racial makeup of both Marvel and DC. I don't know everybody mm-hmm. who works there, but you know, let's, 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 Let's see who's who's doing this. I mean, the people I do know is so few and far between. There's just you know, there's more in book publishing. There's a you know, there's quite a few. And that's saying a lot. Uh, <laughs> yes, there's a you know, and uh, mostly women actually, like women of color in mm. uh, especially the in kids book publishing. But uh, you oh, know, I can yeah. think of a couple of pretty prominent editors, uh, women. But yeah, there's still a very very s- small amount of of black editors, of, of black people, people of color in editorial, positions of editorial responsibility in the United States comic book industry. Yeah. yeah. And let's and, just, and, go on, Kate. Sorry. Go on, Kate. Well, I mean, one, we, we should also narrow it down to, you, you see a lot more, quite frankly, in micro-publishing and yes. self-publishing yeah. with the people who went out and founded mm-hmm. their own thing. Yep. Um, you know, I I don't have statistics, but my guess would be that <laughs> the percentage of uh, people with executive titles, as it were, in comics publishing who are not white 
over are overrepresented by founders that oh. if you started the press, you're in charge of it. Well, um, you know, yeah. And I, you know, look, I'll say this, both DC and Marvel have actually uh, people of color as publishers, Jim Lee mm-hmm, at DC, mm-hmm. John Nee, who worked with Jim Lee at Wildstorm yeah. is at mm-hmm. Marvel. He's the publisher. Yeah. So you look, I'm not saying yeah. that, you know, like six, there. there's, there's, yep. yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying specifically, uh, black editors are very, you know, it's very hard, very yeah. rare, very rare. And you know, Calvin and I both yeah. interviewed. And what, Joe, Joe Quesada at, at Minimal. Yeah, yeah. You know? he's yeah. a Cuban American. Yeah. But, I mean, I think speaking to those people being in charge and also speaking to what you were saying earlier about Jeanette Kahn and whoever else, I forget his name, um, is oh, that yeah. you don't, also don't want to ignore like all of the, the things that can happen in between the top and the bottom that you can have people on top have all kinds of ideals about how, yeah, we're all going to, to be accepting. But if the middle management nods and smiles and then turns around and just does what they've always done, you know, it can be very easy if it's, if it's soft bigotry, if it's hard to put a finger on for them to just, squander those good intentions of the people above them. So, you know, I mean, this that yeah. makes it a cautionary tale. You have to watch out and make sure that, yeah, those people you brought on at the bottom and patted yourself on the back for bringing on are being given the opportunity. Yes, 100%. 100%. Absolutely right, Kate. And, and, and as we all know, we're in the midst now of uh, a, a startling um, number of People of color being uh, suddenly promoted and <laughs> and and, um, and signed to uh, really high profile places. Now, God bless them, but it's very interesting. We've seen this. We're seeing it um, almost multiple times a week in the in the book industry, uh, and even at uh, obviously at IDW and other uh, all deserved. But I'm saying uh, this is coming at a critical time. Yeah, and, but it's also- you know. You know, it's yeah. like, what took you so long? Come yeah, on, people. Exactly. You? And, you know, Calvin, you and I both ran stories of Nachi yes. uh, Marsham at mm-hmm. IDW, who's the first African-American mm-hmm. uh, person to hold the publisher title at a comic book company since we, you know, in mainstream um, mm-hmm. uh, in a long time. Uh, yeah. We probably go back to Milestone. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, hey, yeah, nice. Yeah. Which, which, and which, Nachi, we should, which we should cite for DC. I yeah, mean, Milestone yeah, yeah, is yes. returning. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, Anachi's amazing. I mean, he's mm-hmm. absolutely deserving of this title. So anyway, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's, yeah, uh, look, Latif and Harvey have very different stories. Every story is different. All right. Yeah. But when there's a pattern, there's a pattern. <laughs> there's a pattern. So, all right. Um, where are we at? Hey, best books. Oh, it's yes. That time again. It's a, it's a happy topic. Yeah, it's, it's a very happy topic because really they're extraordinary books, and I have to say, the PW Best Books here. It's a you know go to go to pw dot com. Uh, you know we're going to be talking about the graphic novels, but look, these these are the books that PW's editors uh, have uh, worked on all year to decide uh, the best books of the year, and that's in every genre: fiction, thrillers, poetry, romance. Uh, science fiction and fantasy, religion, lifestyle, middle grade graphic, middle grade text, uh, young adult. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the adult graphic novels, what we consider to be among uh, the best uh, uh, adult graphic novels of 2020. And um, I, I want to uh, give credit to uh, Meg Limke, who is the PW Graphic Novels Review Editor, um, a job that used to be held by uh, the fabulous Heidi McDonald. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but this year's, uh, five grab, you know, the numbers, look, there's more than five great graphic novels, uh, in, um, this year. But this is, this is what we're, we work with on, um, uh, in our niche. So, uh, among the best, uh, adult graphic novels of, uh, <clears throat> of 2020, Durf Factors, Kent State, Four Dead oh, in Durf Ohio. Is a great book. Great yes, great book. An amazing uh, recreation uh, of that tragic, horrific event uh, um, told through uh, the stories of uh, the four that were killed. 
really an amazing uh, amazing work of journalism by by Durf. Uh, Come home, Indio, a memo uh, a memoir by. Uh, Meg and I actually uh, talked about this on Stargazing Hour, looking at star reviews. It's really just an extraordinary memoir, graphic memoir uh, about um, a coming of age story. Uh, um, looking back on his life growing up between a, an indigenous mother and an Irish uh, father, both of them alcoholics. And it's just a, it's just one of the most powerful and kind of moving uh, memoirs uh, you can read, prose or comics. Um, I Know You Writer, a memoir by Leslie Stein, a really powerful uh, look at abortion. Uh, as she tells the story of her own abortion and gives the context around it, and um, uh, she just illuminates, as we wrote, most the illuminates both the vulnerability and the self determination inherent in this, you know, in this incredible experience. Next, uh, a book that is both really moving and hilariously funny: "The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist" by Adrian Tomini. Now, hey. You, uh, Heidi, you interviewed him for us. Yes, yes. So uh-huh. you can, you know, if you want to jump in and, and say, oh well, yeah. I mean, free. you know, Adrian is incredible. Uh, although I see you didn't link to my interview with him. You interviewed to an old link, uh, an old interview with him from 2015. Well, so, I'm not uh, going to say why that happened because I have no impact on 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 how those links are. Uh, oh, okay, settled. all right. Well, I'm going to complain to somebody. At, that's fine because um, I did a I whole hear. interview. But anyway, <laughs> it's funny because I was looking. I was like, "Parenthood." That isn't my interview. But yeah, uh, listen, this book, as I said when my interview, as I was reading it, I was just praying I wasn't in it. And uh, you know, Adrian <laughs> is a great cartoonist, and he he writes a lot of slights. And maybe learn some lesson or two along the way. Well, I I, I I do want to point out that the book ends with a it's a it's kind of a collection of vignettes about, as Heidi puts it, of encounters, slights, uh, settles a few scores, uh, gives you a look at the life of a cartoonist. But there's a long section at the end of it that, in my view, lifts this book above being just a really a thigh slapping you know guffaw generating in a funny look it's a very it's a very um it's a very well-rounded book he, he, he does he writes a letter to his daughters that is actually amazing and goes through <laughs> an experience that kind of makes him look on his life I, and I, I think it makes it really powerful i think it's a lot it reminds me a lot of uh killing and dying you know that story from his last mm-hmm. question um so but anyway listen yeah. I, I you know but all of these books are really fantastic i mean right. Durf is such one a more. great journalist oh one more. We have oh, left yes, out. Right. Paying right. the Land, Joe Sacco. Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, if you go to the uh, More to Come archive, you'll see I did about a, I did about a 45 to 50 minute interview with uh, Joe Sacco talking about this book. He traveled to, to Canada and, 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 and talked with the indigenous people there, their experience, their history. It's truly uh, a remarkable you are their experience. Um, uh, about the history and and the future, uh, as told to him by the people there of of the, the indigenous tribes in in you know, Calvin, this Canada. is a real this is a little bit like uh, you know the return of the kings here. Uh, you know, Sacco, Tomina, Durf. I mean, you know, you yeah, have kind of the all stars coming back. I mean, Leslie Stein, uh, really great. For yeah, her. even she's, Leslie Stein. Uh, well, she's you know, I mean, she's been uh, on the scene acclaimed. A while. She's yeah, mm-hmm. she's but she's acclaimed. I mean, I, I think this book is also probably you know yeah. going to be the book that a lot of people talk about yeah. when they talk about her work. But um, yeah, it's good. It's a good, great. Now, list. and really quickly, I want to say that um, those are the adult graphic novels, but there are also five other uh, graphic novels uh, for middle grade and young adult that were chosen by PW's children's book editors. Very quickly, let me run through them. Yes. Class Act by Jerry Craft. Um, uh, uh, Snapdragon by Kate Lay, Cat Lay, which is a great book. Um, where are we? Uh, oh, When Stars Are Scattered. This is an amazing book by Victoria Jameson and Omar Muhammad. It's uh, the story of two so- uh, Somalian kids uh, in a refugee camp. Absolutely breathtaking. Dragon Hoops by Jean Young. Great book. I also have about a 50-minute interview with uh, Jean Yang talking about this book the magic fish by trung oh, lee i love this this book is so good 
I was going to say, if that you book win. wasn't on the list, I was actually going to raise a protest because I do think that's one of the books of the year. Absolutely. So it's absolutely great. And uh, this isn't a graphic novel. And actually, this is a six book, but it's still something to check out because it's heavily illustrated by a terrific cartoonist. Becoming Muhammad Ali by James Patterson, Kwame Alexander, with illustrations by Daoud Anil, and I, 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 excuse me, Daoud, I always mangle your name, Daoud Anya Bwile. Beautiful illustrations. I, I can't even tell you more. Did get this book? Okay. Okay. Done. All right. <laughs> Well, uh, while well, uh, best books are continuing on in the tradition, uh, that is wonderful. But, uh, you know, another tradition. Uh, guess what? Uh, I've, we've been talking about this a little bit. There have been, there are Comic Cons. There are Comic Cons taking place. Uh, this, the, there was a couple of reports that the, the big lick Comic Con, which sounds horrible. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the Peoria Comic Book Convention. is not a good idea. No, it's right not. That, the big lick. I don't know why. Don't know, right. What the hell's going on there? Uh, that really is almost a story. Anyway, there was uh, they were both held not this past weekend, a couple weekends ago. There's a couple of news reports about them, and you know I was watching these videos, and they are all claiming social distancing. But uh, in one of the videos, you see people are not wearing masks. A lot of them have them drooping down below their nose, uh, and you know they're going through these comics, and I, I'm just like, no, not for me. I am not going back to Comic Con. <laughs> Until we have a vaccine, I'm sorry. These are just, you know, that they were known for concrete and germ spreading before COVID-19. Well, that's true. Everybody comes home sick from cons anyway. Yeah, so yeah. 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 always, always. And you know, you know, I'll tell you this: when things go back to whatever the new normal is, and uh, whenever that is, uh, and we start going back to cons, I'm probably going to just keep wearing a mask. There was oh, a yeah. lot of people who wore masks already at Comic Cons. Like you saw them uh, going, like you know, it's kind of an anime thing, right, Kate? I, I think I've seen yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, you definitely see masks being worn by anime fans. It's it's a thing, especially because okay, since masks were already a thing in Japan, yes, um, there are a lot of uh, merchandise creators make a lot of fun masks for anime fans, and so of course a convention's a great time to wear your fun mask. Well, I mean, I guess now Western fandoms are going to be making fun masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, you know, um, now that I'm, but, so you, oh, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, what I was going to say is one thing when we were talking about this before the show that Calvin brought up is that you know the interviews with the people running the show had them saying all the right things about responsibility and social distancing and all that, even as. Heidi pointed out that a lot of people at the conventions didn't follow these, and I think both those things can be true. Mm-hmm. As someone who is currently working with the public every day, often in small groups of the legal variety, um, it is really, really hard to get a group of human beings who are vulnerable to disease to yeah. continue to wear their masks. It doesn't matter how many rules you put in place. It seems like every time you turn your head back, Somebody has their mask down around their chin. They took their mask off to scratch their nose. And when you call them on it, they're like, oh, I'm scratching my nose. You know, like, it. I can only imagine that fans, a rowdy bunch to begin with, are especially hard to make, sure. like, behave themselves. It may, it may just be unenforceable. And thus, it may not be able to be safe right now because you just can't get fans yeah. to follow the precautions in large numbers. Well, you just can't get people to follow the precautions. You can't precautions. get people, yeah. but... Yeah. Yeah, you know. Too. Yeah, and um, so hey, look, uh, you, you know, the one of them was in Illinois, though, which is, you know, unfortunately, you know, among all the excitement of the election, I don't think we even talked about like the past two days. Both saw a hundred thousand new cases of COVID nineteen, we're yes. the highest yeah. ever. So you know, yes. it's on the march. New York City still has one of the mm-hmm. lowest rates of the country. Well, new York proud. All right. Uh, and you know Illinois, where the Peoria Comic Con was held, uh, they were uh, they're in the midst of a huge outbreak, their biggest outbreak yet. So hey, you know what? I, I get it. I, I I wish. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Calvin, but when I watched those videos, I was just like, I want to go. You know, I, my you know, heartstrings I, were like, I want to be at the con again. I want to go. Well, look, but the, safe. The, the video show one of the, the organizers talking about it and is saying – now, I don't know whether it's true or not, but he actually said that they did not promote the show heavily to not – to mm-hmm. avoid 
having a giant crowd show up. And the videos that I saw, there were people without masks. There were people with masks as well. Uh, I will say this. It wasn't a New York Comic Con, San Diego no, oh no, kind no. of crowd. I mean, it was – I what I saw in the video was really people with a fair amount of space between them. But look, they're indoors. They're still indoors. So, uh, you know, I, I will say this, that yes, going in the future, when I do go back to a con, I'm going to have a mask on, at least initially anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll all be vaccinated by then. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not, yeah. We're not going to have a New York or a San Diego until we have a vaccine. That's for that's sure. Pretty but much. but okay. anyway, listen. I, I what I was going to say is I get it. I know why you wanted to be there. I wish yeah. I could be there. Uh, just Me too. take care. Be careful. Just be careful. Yeah, you know, please wear a mask. They're proven there, to work. Please. They're they're proven to work. Okay. And cut cut your cut. Be careful. Just be careful. All right. All right. Well, look, I, I just want to point out a couple of stories real quick uh, that you can find at publishersweekly.com slash comics. We have a great uh, interview uh, by uh, Brian Heater with Peter Bagg, the great indie cartoonist. Uh, Fanagraphics is releasing a three-volume collection of Peter Bagg's hate. Uh, I was a huge fan back in the day. Uh, this thing ran for something – well, what is it? I can't remember how many issues it ran for. I, can, I have to look into the story to find that out. But it's a story uh, – well, the, the the big thing about this, of course, is one of Peter's most enduring characters, Buddy Bradley, um, uh, the uh, the gruff, uh, heading nowhere fast 1990s New Jersey slacker, uh, a procession of like – Really trashy roommates and raunchy girlfriends, and and actually, watching him, a comics character, age in real time, from you know a, a, a goofy ne'er do well uh, truth teller in some ways, to actually you know a guy with a wife and a family and a kid. Ha! <laughs> well, I'm a in a scrap Peter, metal yard. <laughs> I'm a huge Peter Bag fan, a huge Buddy Bradley fan. I mean, Same I grew here. I grew up re- reading hate. Uh, and you know, actually somewhere here at Stately Beat Manor, I actually have a previous two volume collection that they did of Buddy Bradley. Uh, so, you know, it, it, hey, it's the gift that keeps giving. It's really timeless. Timeless slacker humor. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know what the thing is? He's, he's creating really great characters. Yeah. And, and he has a way of writing them that is both really funny and really relatable and, oh, yeah. and, um, and touching. Yeah, in many yeah. cases. Yeah, that's the thing. His, uh, the thing about Bag's work is it's really, really savage and, and it can be mean spirited as well, but, but he never completely, he never lets you completely forget that these are people that, no, you know, absolutely. Bag, you're absolutely. just like, that could be me. And, uh, that's the best kind of humor as far as I'm concerned. The type I that's, see. that's really savage, but, uh, but actually makes you, uh, feel empathy at the end. So. Yeah. Right, and then and uh, also, uh, and this was this all went out in the latest issue of the Fanatic PW's uh, twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Uh, a great story about uh, Katie Farina, who has been uh, adapting um, the uh, Anne, Mar- uh, Anne Martin's Babysitters Little Sister series, uh, the the best selling uh, prose uh, middle grade series that she did after the Babysitters Club. So she's been creating uh, graphic novels, adapting. She's done the first two in that series, and now she's done an original graphic uh, graphic novel called Song of the Court. That's also selling like Game Busters, Game Busters, and actually has sales. The initial sales that um, oh, excuse me, the sales of her babysitters adaptations are rivaling uh, Dave Pilkey's Dog Man, at least one of the one of the volumes. But this is a new graphic novel, Song of the Court. It's published by Sterling, and um, uh, it's very charming, beautiful, and she's doing a great job. So Absolutely. check us out. And this is this this Q and A was done by uh, Bridget Alveson, uh one of the crack uh, PW Comics reporters, and also part of Three Women in a Hotel Room podcast, uh-huh. if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. All right, and now the briefs, and now. The briefs. Well, here's a little, I suppose one might call it, bump in the road for the new distributors out there um, entering competition with Diamond. Um, Last week, 
um, lunar distribution distributed to a number of select comic shops by, well, was it accident? Was it design? <laughs> Gave them it was an two weeks. Yeah, probably an accident. Two weeks of their DC comics at the same time. So that is to say, the DC <laughs> comics that were supposed to come out this week, they got last week. Um, this is the kind of thing that would have caused heads to roll in the Diamond Era. But, you know, I mean, maybe with the pandemic, everyone's got bigger priorities. I don't know. And, I mean, it's it's really remarkable how well they've been doing, given that they're new distributors. But, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a blip. It's well, a little bit of a blip. You know, it's a well-known fact that comics are all printed. Like, if you get comp copies, you actually get them a week earlier. Uh, so, anyway. Yeah, yeah it's to, to give them a little okay. bit of lead time just in case. Yeah. But, typically, they don't send them to shops until, yeah. you know, time. <laughs> Well, I think we, we, we talked a couple of episodes back about uh, it, it, whatever you might say about Diamond. Uh, they're, they're very reliable, and uh, there were some issues around, um, you know, inconsistency among delivery times. So, yeah. well, you know what? On our next podcast, we'll be a little less preoccupied. We should revisit all this D.C. stuff because I'll have a lot to report by then. All right? Okay. okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, Sounds and, good. But one thing that was, was cited as evidence in the – Leading Cool report from which I sourced this is that one of the comic book stores um, put Batman 102 on eBay a week early, like a week before the store was even supposed to have it. So, yeah, a little bit embarrassing. I'm sure there will be more to come on this. In um, some news from Japan, which is perhaps the complete opposite side of, of things, fanishly, from um, Big Lick Comic Con and other sort of <laughs> things, is that Bandai has licensed um, their Idolmaster characters to um, a hotel, to Hana Hotel in Tokyo. Um where basically they are putting it behind the front desk, instead of a live human hotel clerk, they have um, holograms of the idols, characters from the show, to greet guests. Um, to clarify, Idol Master is both a game and an anime. Um, and so basically, uh, you can see a little picture, if you Google this, where there are these, like, little holographic anime girls behind the front desk counter waiting to check you in. Um, maybe maybe that's a safer kind of uh, front desk staff to have in a hotel right now. <laughs> Is this the future? I, I, for, <laughs> for all of us? Welcome our new hologram overlords, yes. at least until we have a vaccine. E-concierge. Yeah, yeah. So there, there you go, uh, yeah. you know, projecting. It's just all like the sprawl. If you know what yes. that means, uh, you get a cookie. <laughs> and um, that's it for this week's briefs. Um, oh. Some of the briefs have been um, absorbed into our general discussion this week. Yes. Well, I think that we should all give ourselves a pat on the back for making it this far through this podcast because uh, it hasn't been easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, this what March to now. Yeah, but and it's not it's not only that, but you know, now we're in this this election. Perhaps yeah. by the time you listen to this, dear listener, uh there will be some clarity uh yeah. about our lives. But uh, you know, yeah. we're we're all we're all in New York, so you can kind of do the math there. And yeah, um it's um it's I think regardless of of where one stands on the political spectrum, one thing everyone can agree on right now is this election process is taking a really long time and has you on edge. Yes. So uh, we're all half, halfway, uh, as, you know, as half as our edges weren't hyper sharp already. But there you go. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> listen, a reminder, if you made it this far, just a little plug. Uh, once again, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us some comments because we love to get them. In fact, if you hey, leave us a comment, we'll call you out on the podcast. There you Wouldn't go. We'll give you some. We'll give you some uh, airtime. And not only can you comment, but even you can even if you don't feel like commenting, just click the number of stars you feel. Yes, 
Yes, that's <laughs> yes. fair. That's fair. Yeah, vote, vote, still vote. <laughs> Keep on voting. Yes, vote for right. anything you're allowed to vote yes. for right yes. now. Legally. Vote in that other legally. election. Legally. Don't then break come any election. Vote for us too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that you've voted in the presidential, vote for more to come. That's right. And on that note, there will be more to come.